0: Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. My name is Kathy Kayla, And uh, thank you so much for joining me. I'll be your host for the next hour on this Discount Medical Monday. And, uh, you know, we always speak to the best practice experts in their specific fields. The human body is, it is a, a thing of beauty that. In terms of like the systems that work with within systems, and the more I learn about the human body, the more in awe I am of uh, of our creator it, it, it really is uh, something so this week, I thought well you know what let's we've we, We speak about the brain and we speak about heart health and we talk about different conditions And uh, this week we've invited into studio a lady by the name of Anne Levenberg She is an expert in wounds And we're talking about myths and facts about wounds Because uh, one thing that i found is that when you were a kid and you got a scratch or you got a blister or whatever You know, 36 hours it was done, it was gone, it was passed As we get older, so wounds take longer and longer and longer to heal. When somebody's system is compromised, either with something like diabetes um, or whatever other health problem it could be, it could be an immunity issue, then it's going to take even longer and the wounds themselves can actually compromise your health further. So I thought it's very important and uh, welcome, welcome Anne Levenberg. Thank you so much for having me, Kathy. It's so lovely <laughs> to have you here. I mean, lots and lots of our listeners uh, know you and... Uh, Yeah, thank you very much for coming. So let's just talk a little bit about, um, about some myths and let's, let's start off with some myths. What is, what would you say is the number one myth about wounds?
1: Well, I would definitely say the number one myth about wounds is letting them dry. Um, there are so many people that come to me as patients and they have been doing everything possible to keep their wounds dry, they have been applying products that dry out their wounds, uh, certain powders and creams. They've gone even as far as blow drying their wounds, putting their wounds in the sun, so that they can heal. That is the number one myth. Wounds heal most efficiently, with the least pain, with the least scarring, when they are kept moist. That is so interesting. This was discovered actually in 1962. By a man called George Winter It took from 1962 Till the 1980s The early 1980s For modern moist Wound healing products to become available Yet today Even in 2017 People still want to keep Their wounds dry Now there are certain instances That wounds need to be Kept dry, for example post-operative Immediate surgery uh, where you've just got a cut with a few stitches. Um, uh, those type of wounds need to just have a antibacterial cream and a nice little dressing on, but those aren't problem wounds. Problem wounds and large wounds with large surface areas that aren't a little cut with stitches have to be kept moist to optimize their wound healing and then afterwards to ensure there's less scarring and less pain.
0: Do you treat people who, for example, might have a drain? Yes. So they would come to you as well. So yes. what happens with the drain? Is that is that moist or is that, or well, that a drain, a dry? Well, a drain is a totally different thing. A drain is
1: a device that is um, in a person's body that is taking away excess fluid. So the management of a drain site, you actually just need to collect the fluid. So, you need to use the appropriate means to collect
0: the fluid, depending I'm starting on to their feel mouth. a little faint. <laughs> Oh <laughs> all right, which is why people pay her money <laughs> to to do what she does. All right, we're talking about myths and facts about wounds it's uh yeah, I'm anticipating this this next hour is not going to be for the faint hearted
1: I'll try and keep it as low uh, no key as possible, I promise.
0: Alright, if you've got any questions, any comments, you know what? And uh, my guest Anne Levenberg is really she is she's the expert in this. So uh, you are welcome to send through a message and how do you do that? Well you can send through a message on three four five one nine, that's a text message, and we will get to it, I promise you. Uh you can also WhatsApp on zero six two one four eight two three seven four. We're talking about wounds. So uh alright, so myth number one. Don't let your wounds dry. That is correct. Okay, so I've got a I've got a question. Keeping them moist doesn't does that not encourage bacterial growth? No, on the contrary actually. Um, what they have found is
1: all modern wound dressings are designed to put the wound in the optimum wound healing environment. So you don't want it too wet because that will cause something called maceration. Now maceration is if you Sort of in the bath for too long And you get what we used to call granny fingers When your fingers start going all wrinkly Uh, When it goes beyond that uh, Maceration is white And it's usually around the wound edges And you don't want your wound to be macerated Because that can cause the wound to get bigger Because that area that's macerated Becomes weaker And it can then break down So the moist modern wound dressings Are designed to keep the wound Moist enough to promote healing But dry enough So that it doesn't get macerated. Okay. So, so that's optimal. So it's, it's the optimum wound healing environment. And they found that when a wound is moist, you say, can it not cause infection? No, because the cells that we have in our bodies that fight infection can't work in a dry environment. They only work in moisture. They're meant to be moist because they're internal. That that is correct. So things like serous fluid, the stuff that's inside a blister, for example, um, us in, in, in wound care call it healing soup because basically everything that our body requires to heal itself is in that. So are you telling me that we shouldn't pop a blister? Well, there are two schools of thought with popping blisters. Um, in fact, they keep changing. Wound healing is, is a very new science. So it keeps changing all the time. If the blister is in an area that is not impairing um, movement, for example, it's not over a joint or over a crease. If it's on a, an area that is, say, on the, your forearm, on your thigh, you should try not to pop it
0: as much as possible. Is that irrespective of whether it was got through, perhaps, friction or whether it was obtained because it's uh, a blister from burn? Yes. Okay. It is irrespective of what the cause is of the blister. Okay. Our bodies are
1: incredible in that they are designed to optimize their own healing. Very often, as people, we like to mess with that. Um, In the past, uh, we used to do things like change wound dressings once, twice, or three times a day. Um, It has since been proven that the less you mess with a wound and the more you allow the body to heal itself, the better your healing results will be. Um, It is very important to allow your body to do what it has been so beautifully designed to do Without messing with it Every time you change a wound dressing You're actually delaying the healing process uh, From very uh, different aspects Number one is the temperature Wounds heal best at a body temperature of about 37 Which is our normal temperature okay. When you take the dressing off Number one, you're cooling it down Because it's exposed to air Then you're going to clean it with some nice cold stuff Which is going to cool it down even further when those cells that are trying to heal the wound are cold, below 35 degrees, it takes an hour per degree to warm up. Wow. And in that time, the body is actually stagnant. The healing process is stagnant. It's not doing anything. So we like to apply dressings that require the least amount of changing <laughs> so that you can treat the wound um, with the body so often wounds heal in spite of what we do, not because of what we do.
0: Very nice. Okay, so myth number one. Don't let your wounds dry. Correct. Okay, myth number two. Oh, there are so many.
1: Uh, myth number two. okay, we've
0: got
1: an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, myth number two, I would say is the fact that you need to clean a wound every single day in order for it to, to heal. Uh, Myth number two is leave the wound alone. As long as you've got the correct dressing on, you can leave it for three to seven days, depending on what dressing it is. So wounds don't need to be cleaned every single day. And then I would say myth number three is many people say if it burns, it's doing good. So they put things on their wounds like peroxide, oh, like no, all kinds no. of uh, terrible things, and they think, well, it's burning, so it must be working. That's a myth. Uh, the rule is you never put anything on a wound you wouldn't put in your eye. So if you're about to apply something oh. to your wound, think to yourself, would I put this in my eye to clean it? If the answer is no, then you shouldn't put it on your wound either because very often things are what we call cytotoxic. Cytotoxic means killing healthy tissue. Ah. So although they might kill bacteria, things like um, alcohol is often put in wounds. Um, alcohol will kill the bacteria in the wound, but it will also be cytotoxic. And things also like betadine. Many people love to use betadine on a wound. Betadine is a very the good doctors antibacterial. Doctors use it. Yes. Okay. Betadine is a very good antibacterial. If you've got things like a boil, a carbuncle, uh, something like that, a, a pus-containing wound, um, it's very good initially to kill the bacteria, but it should not be used as a wound-healing dressing because then you'll have a chronic wound that doesn't have infection, but it still won't heal.
0: What's a carbuncle?
1: Uh, it's kind of a bad boil. Okay. It's like that. It's a skin infection, a
0: type of skin infection. Okay, so leave it to the doctor basically to use betadine or unless you've got like a cut that needs to be cleaned immediately.
1: Yeah, you can use it but it you shouldn't be used as, not dressing. as a wound dressing yeah, and even cleaning, if you clean with betadine you can use a solution of 0.25% which is very, very dilute betadine, it kind of looks like weak tea um, if it's at that solution it will kill the bacteria but it won't harm the tissue, okay. but if you're putting on pure betadine, pure iodine it's, that's when it affects the wound healing.
0: My guest is, uh, Anne Levenberg. She's from the wound clinic. Um, you're in Linksfield, right? Yes. Yes. I'm and, in private uh, practice there. Yeah. In private practice there. And, uh, if you've got any questions about wounds, if you've got any comments, you know, what do you use? What are those, here's a question for you. What are those home remedies <laughs> that you've heard to use wounds. Three four five one nine. Uh yeah, share them. Let's 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 cast the net wide. Uh you can also WhatsApp on zero six two one four eight two three seven four. And uh yeah, we're talking about myths and facts about wounds. My guest is Anne Levenberg and my name is Kathy Kayla. Okay, so uh if you've just joined us, let me do a quick recap. Myth number one is don't let Wounds dry, um, unless it's a post-op wound. That's the only only time. Uh, myth number two is that you don't have to clean a wound every day. Clean it and then cover it up. Right? Yes. And uh, myth number three: if it burns, it's good. That is a myth. Uh, as a rule, don't put anything on a wound that you wouldn't put in your eye. Okay, yes. got it. That's it. All right. Myth number four. <sighs> wow She's choosing She's choosing which ones are <laughs> the big ones <laughs> I'm just trying to think uh, Why do some Okay, um, Before we get to number four Ed, yes. Why do some people scar So much worse than other people
1: Well Very often it is A genetic component Some people are prone To scarring and it's just The way they are made up Basically Um There are are two types of bad scarring One is a hypertrophic scar And the second is a keloid scar Now a hypertrophic scar is very similar looking to a keloid scar But it is easier to deal with When people have keloids or hypertrophic scars Basically the only treatment you can do is uh, plastic surgery And even then it is not um, a guarantee that, that it will help What is a keloid scar? A keloid scar is when the body's healing mechanism Is uh, Basically overproduces Scar tissue They don't know why it happens Some people get it um, There are certain um, color groups That are more prone to keloid scars And they find that people Who have wounds that are under tension In areas of tension Are more prone to developing keloid scars But um, or should I say Hypertrophic scars more In areas of tension Some people who are prone To keloid scars They can even have something Like their ears pierced And develop terrible keloids um, it's, it's basically a failure Of the body's own Wound healing process So what would a keloid look like If you've had your ears pierced? I'm, well, I'm just, I don't know what a keloid is Okay, A keloid is an overgrowth of tissue Okay. So somebody will go For something simple Like having their ears pierced And they will land up With Scarring that is from the earlobe, basically. It can even grow all the way around um, to the back of their head. It can grow down oh uh, under their necks, um, down their neck, uh, and uh, grossly deform the, the, the ear and the side of their face wow. if it's left for a long period of time. Uh, often that needs to be treated with surgical excision, which is done by a plastic surgeon, and then they go for, some people have tried steroid injections, uh, stuff called Triamcinolone or lidocort, and uh, also radiation therapy. They have to go for radiation therapy within six hours of surgical excision. So it's quite a severe problem. It is more prone in people with black skin or dark skin, but, uh, not exclusively. It's just more common.
0: So then what is the, di- how, if you look at a, at a scar. Yes. Um, how do you tell if it's keloid via hydrotrophic? Hypertrophic. Hypertrophic. Okay. So a keloid scar
1: basically is a gross, um, growth of tissue. And a hypertrophic scar is usually thickened it's usually post operative it's usually a uh, very common hypertrophic scars are uh, cesarean sections um, and people who've had cosmetic surgery if the uh the scar line is under tension um, it can cause a build up of the uh connective tissue and uh, it gets it's raised it's red sometimes it can be itchy and um, uncomfortable uh, it's just not a flat scar it's it's a raised scar
0: Sure, so interesting. Okay, so let's uh, let's get back to uh, myth number four. Okay, myth number four.
1: You know, there's so many misnomers. It's very difficult to sort of say myth one, two, three, four, five. There's so many mis- misnomers and misunderstanding about modern wound care, um, and very often wounds don't heal, and people think well. Uh, it's just something I've got to live with because I've been trying to treat it myself for years and years and years. In fact, um, I have a record a patient came to me after 45 years of having a chronic wound. So I'd probably say myth number four is that I just have to live with it. It's not true. Wounds will always heal if they are treated correctly. One of the things um, I do some lecturing in wound care and I I teach my students, is that you have to heal the whole of the patient, not just the whole in the patient. So if a wound isn't healing, if a wound is a chronic wound, um, a chronic wound is a wound that has had no wound healing progress for three weeks or longer. We call that a chronic wound. If a wound hasn't healed, there's a reason. And it won't heal unless you find the reason. So as a wound healing practitioner, wound healing specialist, you need to actually look at the whole of the patient and figure out what is going on here. Why is this wound not healing? Once you have figured that out and you treat the underlying cause of the chronic wound, the wound will heal.
0: So what are the different reasons that, are, that, that you have found in okay. patients um, that wounds haven't healed? Okay, there, there,
1: are, there are many reasons, one of which uh, can be sepsis. If a wound is infected, there are bacteria that delay the wound healing process. So if a patient comes to you with a non-healing wound and there are signs of infection, you have to treat the infection first. Then you can go on to treating the wound. Uh, blood supply. Very often patients have ulcers on their legs, uh, which is a whole specialty in itself, uh, leg ulcers. There are different types of leg ulcers. So you need to work out why they have the leg ulcer, Why it's not healing Is it an arterial reason If it is If the arteries aren't working They need to be seen By a vascular surgeon Very often they require Surgery to Resupply the leg With oxygen And a good blood supply And then the wound Can heal If it's a venous If the veins aren't working That issue needs To be sorted out It's a whole different Component to arterial Um, If it's a patient That is diabetic Diabetics have Delayed wound healing um, particularly if they are uncontrolled diabetics and if they don't look after their blood sugar uh, blood sugar over 7.2 affects wound healing and uh, very often I found that diabetics like to cheat every now and again it is uh, difficult but living with diabetes it has to be your way of life to keep your blood sugar down and then if your blood sugar is kept below 7.2 it will heal, if it's not it won't Um Sometimes patients come to me with non-healing wounds, and it actually turns out to be a cancer that was undiagnosed, skin cancer. Wow. So, you know, those are the most common reasons for wounds not to heal. And unless those reasons are are sorted out, the wound won't heal, no matter what you try and put on it. If it's a wound that is caused by pressure, unless the pressure is relieved from the area, it doesn't matter what dressings, what treatment they have, the wound won't heal. What do you mean by pressure? Well, one of the most difficult things to treat, the common name for it is a bed sore. It is caused by pressure. It is caused by pressure and friction or friction. Um, a pressure sore is a wound that somebody that is immobile can get. It can take six hours to form and a very long time to treat. So if somebody is... Um, unable to move themselves, if somebody is a quadriplegic, paraplegic, um, very ill, they have to have correct pressure relief or they will develop a pressure sore. Six hours isn't a very long time. And if you have an area that is under pressure for six hours and no movement and the patient is compromised in that they are ill, um they will develop a
0: pressure sore. Or otherwise what does a pressure sore or bed sore look like?
1: Without making everybody feel ill, um, they're different stages. They're stage one to stage four. Stage one is basically just a red discoloration. Um, pressure sores work in a triangle. So what you see on the skin is the top part of the triangle and the bottom part of the triangle, the wider part, is the amount of tissue damage. Under, Under and that's the skin. what you're not actually and seeing. And that's what you're not actually seeing. So if you see a little red mark, um, the damage is usually far deeper. Um, it starts with a little red mark. That's just the dermis and the epidermis that are damaged. Or it couldn't be a little red broken area. Uh, going on to much deeper areas where the dermis, epidermis, and subcutaneous tissues involved, it can, at that stage... Two and then stage three will involve the muscle, even below that, and stage four up to the bone.
0: And what about people who are in wheelchairs? People who are in wheelchairs do they
1: develop like these, these pressure sores? As yes, well? they do. People who are in wheelchairs, first of all, are often unable to move themselves, and. They also have no sensation, so they won't be able to feel pain like we can. If we're sitting on something and it's hurting our bum, we'll be able to move our bum because it'll be sore. But somebody who's a quadriplegic or paraplegic can't feel that. So they have to have special devices to assist them with pressure relief. And nowadays you can get incredible cushions to sit on. The problem is they're very often very costly, but saying that, the cost of a cushion, no matter how costly, is a lot cheaper
0: than the cost to your health and your life if you develop a pressure sore. Right. Because also if you develop a pressure sore, then you're also compromising that is your, your health and that can actually just ex- exacerbate whatever your, your condition is. That is correct. People can die from pressure sores. That is really? true. Yes. From, from secondary causes? From secondary infection and sepsis. Wow. Well, we're talking the myths and facts about wounds. My guest is Anne Levenberg. If you've got any questions, we want to hear about those, uh, you know, grandma's tried and tested uh, home remedies. Share them with us. We want to know, especially if you have one that your family used and nobody else's family used. 34519, that's a text line. You can also WhatsApp on zero six two one four eight two three seven four, And... Uh, Yeah, also we're taking all of your comments, your questions on those same two numbers, 34519, that's the SMS line, or 0621482374. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of DISCAM. Pharmacists you care. My name is Kathy Kayla. Thank you so much for joining me um, on this Discim Medical Monday. We're talking uh, myths and facts about wounds. Yeah, as you get older, have you noticed that uh, what used to take you know a day or two to heal, all of a sudden it's not taking, you know, it's not it's not gone in a day or two, and uh, the longer. Our bodies take to heal from from wounds, the more chance we stand of actually compromising our overall health, so it could be from uh, you know a little burn, a little burn, and uh, you know when you when you 're making uh, Shabbos or it could be an insect bite, I think insect bites are a large part of what uh, my guest deals with uh, we're going to be talking about that uh, My guest is actually Anne Levenberg she is uh She's a wound specialist in private practice. She works out of Linksfield Clinic. And um I remember Anne, a few years ago, in fact it was many years ago, it was a guy who had been overlanding and he had been bitten by some insect and they didn't know what it was. But it had created literally this hole in his leg. And I and I do apologize for anything graphic that's coming into <laughs> your into your mind right now. But um you know, and it took a very, very long time. Um and when I met him, it was actually at the stage where they were considering amputating his leg because they just couldn't get the wound healed. Yes. Uh,
1: what you are talking about is probably a sac spider bite. Now, there are many spiders that fall under uh, the umbrella sac spiders. What a sac spider does is when it bites you, you actually don't feel the bite. It's not like being stung by a bee or a wasp where it burns. So initially you don't feel the bite at all, and then you get an area that kind of looks like a mosquito bite. It's red, it's raised, it's itchy. What then happens is the mosquito bite, what you think is a mosquito bite, gets a little
0: bit of a water blister, and then it starts to deteriorate from there. That little white head. Yes. That, that's, I mean, that's how I tell a spider bite from any other bite. Is uh, the spider bite's always got a white head. Well, white the white or black, or it can actually be clear
1: fluid, it just depends. So, so what happens when a sac spider bites you, it actually injects the poison into your subcutaneous layer. That poison is then a slow release, what we call cytotoxin. Cytotoxin means killing of tissue. And depending on the amount of poison that the spider has injected will depend on the depth and the destruction of tissue that you will experience. Those type of spider bites will result in tissue loss and a big hole, basically, wherever they have bitten you. And you do need specialized wound care to treat that.
0: Is there a counter, what's it called, an antidote? Uh, no.
1: There isn't? No, so you no, no, no antivenom, no. It's not like being bitten by a snake. Or There's an anti-venom to certain spider bites, like, for example, the black widow, uh, or the banana spider, but those types of poisons are very similar uh, sort of to snake venom, so they can give you an anti-venom. But things like a sac spider, which I'm sorry to scare you all, are in all our homes in Johannesburg. What do they look like? Wait, I have to Google and see what okay. they look like. <laughs> uh, the most common sac spider we find in our homes is otherwise known as a violin spider, it's quite innocuous looking. It's a little, little brown, brown. Yeah, thing. A little tan. Yeah. Uh, it's called a violin spider because on its underbelly it has a little violin. It looks like a violin. Um, and they are very common in Johannesburg and the surrounding areas. And because they're not big, hairy, scary, tarantula kind of looking things, uh, we kind of tend to ignore them.
0: Yeah. They, then they're small. And they're small. They don't look scary. But, yes. Unless, of course, you're arachnophobic, in uh, which yes. case they look very Shocking. scary. Yes, yeah. I am. <laughs> Are you arachnophobic? <laughs> Terribly. Really? Okay, I've got no issue. But, uh, yeah. Okay, so, um, all right, myth number five. What would you say myth number five is? Myth number five. Yeah. Just to, uh, while Anne's thinking about that, I just want to run through what the myths have been so far. Myth number one is don't let your wounds dry, um, unless it's post-op. If it's post-operative, then you can let them dry. Myth number two is don't clean your wounds every day. If it's clean and it's covered, then leave it alone because uh, you, want, you don't want to interfere with it too much. Uh, myth number three, if it burns, it's good. It's an outright lie. Um, don't apply anything to a wound that you wouldn't put in your eye, and that's uh, Anne's rule of thumb. Uh, myth number four, I just have to live with it. You don't have to live with it. There's a reason why your body isn't healing, and uh, people like Anne will help you to identify, or they will look into it, and they will identify why your body isn't healing. It might be that, uh, I mean, I'll just give you some of the examples that Anne used. It might be that there's sepsis, in which case you treat the infection first, the wound will heal. Uh, if it's something to do with your circulation, it could be something, I don't know, perhaps you are... Uh, diabetic and you don't know that you're diabetic right Uh, if it's untreated or if it's uh, unmonitored unmanaged i think that that is a word or it could even be something like a skin cancer it's just not healing and uh you know don't leave it you gave an example of somebody who waited 45 years to get it treated yes you know if that was skin cancer you wouldn't have survived No, definitely not Definitely Just go not. and have it seen to yes. You know, it might be something that you're not looking at every day It might be a, a sore on your back You know, go and have it seen to Don't leave it Don't, don't be an ostrich yes. You know, be proactive about health Alright, so what would you say is myth number five, Anne?
1: Okay, myth number
0: five
1: uh, There's kind of a big umbrella for myth number five But there are a few specifics in that, under that umbrella Basically, home remedies. Home remedies. Yes.
0: Yes. Yes. So I'll start off with the most... Home remedies work. Is that, is that myth number five? Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: That kind of falls under wounds heal in spite of what we do to them often. Um, home remedies can also be quite a disaster. One of the most common home remedies that I've seen lately is honey. Honey? Honey. Okay, Now honey is clinically proven to heal wounds It is correct Honey is a fantastic wound healing modality But saying that It is not the honey you buy from pick and pay Or wherever you buy your honey from And put on toast
0: Oh, what honey is it?
1: It is honey that is made by bees Mainly manuka honey it's called That are it's bread. the white.
0: It's like the white, creamy honey, isn't it? Yes, but it's not honey.
1: honey we buy off the shelf in one of the grocery stores. Okay. okay, it is specifically treated honey that is bred by bees in a sterile environment. The honey you put on your toast is full of bacteria, fungi, spores, and things like that that are fine if you eat them, but they are not fine if you put them on your wound. So there are many dressings, modern wound dressings available that contain honey, and it's become the latest thing. And it's fantastic for getting rid of dead tissue, for treating infection. Pretty we're killing all of our bees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just had to put that in there. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, when the correct honey is used or the correct honey dressing, it is fantastic. There is also a problem if you are diabetic. They have found that people who put honey on their wounds, if they are diabetic, there is a small absorption of the the, the glucose, the sugar from the honey, so it can um, increase their is blood sugar sensitive? levels. Yes. Okay. Some people are that sensitive. Um, so I would say, please don't go to pick and pay if you hear that honey is very good. Uh, for wound healing and get no, the honey got a special from there. this week yeah. yeah, and please don't put that honey on uh, i've seen terrible, terrible infections so um, could you buy honey at this at this game no
0: the the manuka honey
1: no, because no. that honey is all in, the honey you eat is not for wounds. The honey for wounds is specifically in a dressing form. It is in a cream form. It is in a medical tube. It's, been it processed, is a, it's processed special medical honey. It's not what you buy on the shelf. Okay. Uh, the same applies to, um, another myth is <laughs> enzymes for getting rid of dead tissue in a wound. I have seen a patient People read up on Google. Got Dr. Google is one of my favorite things. According to Dr.
0: Google, I've, I've died 10 times just this morning. Yeah. 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 Most of us have.
1: Yeah. But many people will have a wound, and they will pick up a word from Dr. Google and run with it. That's why people will go and put honey from pick and on their wounds, and why people will do things like, I've seen there is this thing called an enzymatic debrider. Now, when you've got dead tissue on a wound, it is stuck on there with collagen and you need an enzyme called collagenase and that will help to break down the collagen so that the dead tissue can come out. You need the dead tissue to come out because when wounds heal, they heal from the bottom up and the edges inwards. When there's dead tissue in that wound bed, it's a brick wall for those cells. So yes, we need to take that out and that you'll see on Dr. Google. And people have seen on Dr. Google they need an enzyme to do this. A few years ago, there was a uh, clothes uh, soap powder that was advertised, I'm not going to name the name of the product, but it was advertised as containing enzymes. Oh, gosh. And I have seen people who have taken the soap powder, made a paste of it, and put it on their wounds because the enzymes in the soap powder... They but they're different enzymes, I'm sure. I'm afraid so. Yes, it doesn't work. So basically, with regarding wound care, I can say, please don't try this at home, folks. Rather go to a specialist and get the proper treatment. Another wound healing, uh, myth, myth mm-hmm. I've seen as well is, um, pawpaw skin. But pawpaw supposed
0: to be excellent it is. for healing.
1: It is, as is honey, but it's got to be The proper, it's papayan in the pawpaw Mm. that is excellent for wound healing. But that doesn't mean you can go to your fruit and veg, buy a piece of pawpaw, buy pawpaw and stick it on your wound because you can get septic. You need to buy yet again the proper product manufactured from papayan, which is from pawpaw. So yes, pawpaw is good for wound healing, but
0: the proper one. Okay, there we go. talking about wound uh, healing I saw uh, it's actually going back a few years now where maggots were being used yes and I do apologize for the graphic nature of this of this uh, Diskin Medical Monday for our listeners I'm so sorry <laughs> but um I think that it is important. I mean, are yeah, we yeah. using, are we using maggots here to clean wounds? Well, I must tell you that, um. I mean, they, it was phenomenal what yeah. they were doing. They're putting these maggots on, would eat the dead tissue. And, uh, Now, maggots are absolutely fantastic.
1: Oh, I can't even think for of For getting I feel weak, rid isn't... of t- dead tissue. And, and your response is exactly why oh it hasn't kicked off. No, you'd have to
0: anesthetise me. Just <laughs>
1: In fact, there used to be a maggot farm near Pretoria where we could order, as wound care practitioners, we could order maggots that used to come... sterile and all yes, of that. Yes, they were bred in sterile environment. They used to come in a beautiful little test tube with their own little tweezer and a piece of gauze that you could apply to the wound base. So maggots have incredible properties. First of all, they only eat dead tissue, so they don't damage any healthy underlying tissue. Secondly, they do have an antibacterial property, that they release, and an anti-inflammatory property that they release into the wound bed. So they are fantastic for cleaning wounds. The maggot form actually landed up closing down because to apply something like maggots to a patient, you obviously need their informed consent. Uh, we call them biological, so maggots and leeches. I'll talk about leeches as well. Um, you need in a patient's informed consent to apply a biological dressing To their wound, and patients just were not having it. Um,
0: Yeah, I can imagine that it went down probably even worse in Linksfield than most other (laughs) hospitals. (laughs) Just you know, yes, very often. I mean, patients come to me completely
1: hysterical. They, they, their granny, they, they, whoever that they're looking after, they, they have a wound, and they took the plaster off, and all these worms came crawling out, and they, and I have to just. Calm down.
0: What do you mean? Like worms should not be in the wound. I mean, you didn't seal the the maggots into the wound. Really? Yes. Oh no. No, 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 no. Uh, And then
1: when they have eaten all the dead tissue, they actually just fall off themselves. So, and they cause no harm at all to the healthy tissue or the patient. They
0: just eat dead tissue. So. And completely freak out the patient. Yes. Which might even be even worse. Okay, correct. so so there are other ways of
1: getting rid of dead tissue that don't require right enzymatic
0: debraders, for example.
1: That is correct. Okay. Yes, and then leeches. Leeches are another.
0: uh But leeches have been used for hundreds exactly. and hundreds and hundreds of years. I was actually watching a documentary about King Henry VIII. Yes, and they used leeches. But with that were Yeah. Now, now
1: in in the time oh, of Henry the letting, VIII, yeah, it was bloodletting, which they find is actually a complete myth and fallacy, and, and it doesn't do anything good. But leeches have their place in reconstructive surgery and areas where blood clotting is a problem. So when a leech sucks on a person's tissue, they release an anticoagulant and they release antibacterial properties and they release um, an anti-inflammatory and what they and an anticoagulant. So, so in areas where, for example, patients have had grafts, skin grafts, and um, they have blood clot that is the problem, or they have circulation issues where they've had, for example, severed limbs or fingers or toes put back, and um, the blood supply is compromised because of blood clotting. Leeches are attached to that area, and very often they leeches have saved. I've personally seen save limbs, save noses, save ears, save. Toes, say fingers. So yes, they are fantastic. There's something
0: less creepy about leeches than about than maggots? Uh, than maggots, yeah.
1: Well, I suppose they're slightly bigger and 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 sort of less crawly. They don't crawl around. They attach and stay in one place.
0: And they don't become filthy flies. No, they don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So are, are leeches used here in therapy? Yes. Yes. And in surgery as well? Yes, post-operatively
1: if the blood supply is compromised to the area.
0: That is really interesting. Sure, isn't it incredible? Mm. Alright, if you've got any, uh, oh look at that. Very nice uh, message coming in from you, for you Annie, saying we'd love you Annie. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I wondered. Thanks fans, whoever you are. <laughs> yeah, please sign. I mean, you know, if you're going to send some nice SMSs like this, then uh, please sign your name. Yeah, it's, and they sent three, three kisses and a heart. Oh my goodness. That's Probably big. my children. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They don't call you Annie, do they? No. Um, all right. If you've got any questions, we're talking about wounds. You know, let's, I'm just going to put it out there. If you needed your wound cared for, would you be open to, you know, a specialist like Annie using maggots? I can't get my head around it, <laughs> but please don't let me influence your thoughts and uh, your feelings. Let me know, 34519, that's the text line, or 0621482374. We're talking about wounds, we're talking about myths and facts about wounds, and uh, we've spoken also about, uh, you know, different treatments, leeches, maggots. I want to talk about silver. Is it true or is it it a fact or is it a myth? It's a fact. Silver.
1: Yes, but the right silver. Just like the right honey, the right everything else, it's got to be the right silver. So silver has fantastic wound healing properties in that it is anti-inflammatory, antiviral, antibacterial, antifungal. It is a fantastic thing. How silver works is that for some reason bacteria is attracted to silver. It's almost like cats are attracted to catnip. Bacteria is attracted to silver. And how the silver works to get rid of the bacteria is that the bacteria actually ingest the silver particles and it kind of blows them up. They explode and they get killed that way. Okay. (laughs) I've actually seen this under a microscope. (laughs) So the thing is, is that... The most efficient silver is something called nano crystalline silver, which is AG3 pluses. So a regular silver particle is just AG1 plus. What some very, very, very clever microbiologists and scientists did. Was they took these silver particles and blasted each particle with a laser and broke it down into AG3 pluses, which they found is the optimum size for bacteria to eat. Otherwise the silver particles actually usually too big. The problem with this is the process involving blasting the silver particles results is very expensive. So it results in a superb wound dressing. Made of nanocrystalline silver That is also superbly
0: expensive When you say superbly expensive What what are you talking Are you talking You're looking at you an know, avid, Tens, hundreds of thousands Well for a 10 by 10 centimeter
1: square You're looking at about 500 rand Wow yes. That is very expensive Correct So the silver you can get On all other plasters uh, I think Band-Aid's got Band-Aid, elastoplast yeah. Is not Nanocrystalline silver It is just made from regular silver And yes it does work But it is by nowhere As efficient as Nanocrystalline silver Hopefully in time they will find a cheaper process To create this But for now um, It is very expensive But saying it's very expensive um, I do use the product It is a life saving product And when it comes to saving a life, there is no cost.
0: percent, it doesn't count. All right, uh, I want to get to some of these messages, Anne. Uh, my guest is Anne Levenberg. She she runs a, a wound clinic at Linksfield. It, she's in private practice. You can go, uh, you know, go and get those, you know, that saw that you've got that just isn't healing. Go and get it checked out. Um, okay. Clive B says, uh, he's, he's weighing in on the conversation. He wants to join our conversation. He says, uh, I stood on a broken beer bottle and eventually lost my foot due to infection. Yes. How devastating, Clive. Um, I'm so sorry to hear that, but, uh, that's, you know what? That's the truth of the matter. You know, wound,
1: advanced wound care is often very misunderstood. Um, and it's kind of, Not taken as seriously as it should be It is a very new, relatively new Specialty in the country Um, And what Particularly an ongoing fight is With medical aids Is that they very often Give the patients problems With paying for advanced wound care Because they do not realise How important Specialised wound care is And how it is Limb and life saving and the very sad reality is that people often do lose limb or and life from severe wounds.
0: Yeah. It's uh, I mean, listen to Clive, yes. uh, and I have no doubt how, how devastating yes. that must have been. Yes. Uh, Clive. Thank you so much for sharing that. Mike says, uh, I've always had difficulty in healing. I developed keloids and red scarring in March. I was bitten by a dog and although hospital treated the, Treated it, the scar remains aggressive. Thanks, Mike. So what, what could Mike do? Well,
1: uh, treating. So you've got two, problems. Yeah, is, two is, problems. yeah. Yeah. Uh, the only thing you can do after, well, there are certain dressings that you can try that are silicone based. So it usually takes up to a year for a, a wounded area that has healed to completely have um, settled down and to see the final results. So it takes a, a full year to see what your wound is going to become. Um, and the best thing to do, to try, is a silicone-based scar plaster. There are various different types on the market. And what you do is you basically, you wear the, the scar plaster for as many hours out of 24 as possible. Uh, you take it off to bath or shower and you put it back on you need to wear a silicone-based plaster over a scar for at least three months to see whether it's going to help or not. That is the first line of treatment for a hypertrophic scar. That will not help a keloid scar. So you need to differentiate between which is your hypertrophic scar, which is your keloid scar. There's uh, no really, there's no other way of really telling. No. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, it has to be a medical practitioner will be able to look at it okay. and say, yes, it's a keloid. If it's a keloid, excision and radiation. If it's hypertrophic, very often these special scar plasters will help, and but you have to continue wearing them. For you can't expect an overnight miracle; it's not going to work. Um, so you have to give it at least three months to see if it's going to help. Otherwise, you might have to go for plastic surgery for okay. for that.
0: Mark, I hope that uh, that that helped you. Um, Gail, morning, Gail. Uh, she says. Uh, An extremely effective remedy that she found is Natura's all-heal cream. And she says that it's essential in every household.
1: I must be honest, I don't know what is in it. So I I, I honestly can't comment uh, with any information. I don't know. But if it
0: works for you, hey, great. (laughs) Okay. Montana Morning Montana Montella has actually tweeted at High FM saying, I've got three questions for Anne. Um, a scab means that the wound is, wound is healing? That's question number one. Okay. Thanks, Montana. Question number one. To answer
1: your question, Montana, a scab does not necessarily mean a wound is healing. What do you mean? Well, people often uh,
0: confuse
1: scabs with what we call necrotic tissue. A scab... ...is very superficial, it's on the top of your skin, it doesn't go sort of very deep, and yes, if you've got a superficial wound and there's a scab, um, it shows that the wound is healing, but... If it is deeper dead tissue, we call that necrotic tissue. And very often people say, oh, it's just a scab it's going to heal, but it's actually not. It's, it's very deep dead tissue. And unless you keep the wound moist, get rid of the dead tissue, it will become a chronic wound and won't heal.
0: Okay. Well, there you go. I mean, you've just taken all of my, you know, grade 11 biology and thrown it out of the window. <laughs> Sorry. You know, the whole process of what happens <laughs> when, when the body is cut and all the little cells come and they form like this mesh and it stops yes, the blood yes. from going. It's all right. It's all, it's all, 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 all true,
1: all correct. The thing is to differentiate between the depth of the tissue loss. So how do you know? Unless your if your wound's not healing, if you've got what you think is a scab, and the scab stays looking exactly the same for weeks and weeks and weeks, or starts looking worse, then it's not just a superficial scab. Is itching a good or a bad thing? It's a good thing. Very often, uh, wounds. What happens is one of the processes your body goes through with wound healing is called angiogenesis. The process of angiogenesis is when new little blood vessels are formed in your microcirculation. And two things happen with angiogenesis. Number one is you get vasodilation, in other words, the surrounding blood vessels dilate, to allow the cells that are going to rebuild your tissue and your little vessels to get to the area. That vasodilation increases your circulation to the area and the process of angiogenesis is those cells are incredibly busy rebuilding themselves and remaking things and everything and very often the itching is actually you just feeling those cells working so it is true when you hear people say my wound is itchy it must be healing yes it is unless there are times where you can be allergic to whatever product or dressing is on and that itching is a reaction, an allergic reaction to your plaster or the cream or whatever you might have put on. But the short
0: answer is yes, itching means your wound is healing. Okay. Um, all right. Montana also wants to know, does butter heal burn wounds? Oh, that's one of mine. You can add that to a myth. Okay, <laughs> okay, so let's that, put could that be in myth number mouth. six.
1: Yes, please. Okay. Okay, when somebody sustains a burn... If you put anything on the burn that while it is still hot, it will increase the depth of the burn. So if you put oil, butter or anything like that on a burn, margarine, it will make, it can turn a first degree into a second degree, second into third and so on because your skin is still very hot where you have been burnt. You are then putting on the butter, the oil or whatever else. So it will Worsen the burn. The correct treatment is cold running water, not just for a few seconds, for 15 to 20 minutes. Also, please do not ever put ice on a burn. Why? Ice will turn a hot burn into a thermal cold burn. So basically, you're just burning yourself over your hot burn. You're just turning it into a cold burn. So you never apply it directly to ice directly to tissue if you're going to ask things like a blackout or anything like that make sure the ice is in a cloth in a in a dishcloth in a towel in something
0: all right well, you say cold running water on a burn yes why does it need to be running because if it's just stagnant
1: water the water will heat up from the temperature of your burn so it won't stay constantly cold particularly if it's a bad burn your your own body heat will heat up the water, so it won't be constantly cool water. Okay. okay. If you can't get cold running water, immerse in a bath, jump in the pool, anything like that. But nothing hot and no no extreme temperatures, either hot or cold, on a burn. And then you have to apply something like burn shields, um, and then get within six hours proper medical
0: attention. Yeah. Um, Paul Fisher, thank you so much. He says, what's the function of Dettol and Savlon? So that would be the same as betadine. Well, you're not the expert. You you tell us. (laughs)
1: Okay. Dettol and Savlon are good for cleaning wounds. Are they the same thing? Very similar. They're very, very similar. Um, They found that Savlon, however, does kill more bacteria. It has a greater scope than Dettol. But they're very similar. The trick is it can be used to clean a wound as long as it's used at a very dilute solution of 0.25%. Again, it won't be cytotoxic and will kill bacteria. If you start using full strength, Dettol or Savlon, that is cytotoxic. It's
0: just like betadine. There you go. So getting back to myth number three, if it burns, it's good. It's not true. No. Um Annie said her rule of thumb is don't apply anything to a wound that you wouldn't put in your eye. I wouldn't put butter in my eye. Correct. Either. Listen, we've got a rat we've got a to- we've got to get out of here. That's uh <laughs> you know what, that's all we're gonna be talking about for burns and wounds. We've been talking about myths and facts about wounds. If you've uh if you haven't been able to listen for the whole hour and you'd like to hear the whole hour then get to highfm.com C-H-A-I-F-M.com, and you'll be able to download the podcast for this Dischem medical Monday my guest has been Anne Levenberg thank you very very much and um, I'm sorry that we weren't able to get to everybody else's uh, text messages listen you be good you uh, have a wonderful wonderful week and we'll see you Same time, same place next week. Thank you. Thank you for having me. God bless. Bye.